Well, good morning, Encounter. <laughs> How you guys doing? Dude, uh, hey, the exit's back there, Dan. We don't need your kind here. Uh, so I'm listening to Kelly introduce me, and I'm thinking, dude, I sound like I'm 12 years old by what she's saying about me. You know, like, oh, here's his favorite team. Then he likes Batman. He likes to camp. Like, woohoo! Like, he's, you know, we have a teenager with us this afternoon or this morning. Um, yeah, my name's Jason. Super stoked to be hanging out with you guys this morning. Got a long, beloved history with this place. Um, <laughs> you guys are clapping. Yeah. Uh, memories, you always look at memories through rose-colored lenses. You forgot some of the stuff I did here back in the day. But, um, <laughs> but you know what? Uh, speaking of the stuff we used to do back in the day, when I was a youth pastor, one of the ways we like to kick off summer, and we would do this occasionally, not every summer, but occasionally what we would like to do is we'd like to host pool parties, right? It's summer, and although Ventura most of the time has that wonderful June gloom that's going on, um, we would often try to find some poor, unfortunate soul that would be willing to let a whole bunch of really well-behaved teenagers hang out in their backyard for a barbecue and pool and all that kind of stuff. And somehow every year, by the grace of God, we were able to find some poor sap that would say yes to letting us take over the backyard. The funny thing is, it was always a one and done. We were never invited back to the same place twice. But... No matter how hard we tried to entertain those students at these pool parties, and we'd had all of these activities and all these games planned, like you know, relay races and King of the Tube and belly flop contest and, and uh, like steal the greased watermelon, which re- does really work because watermelons float. No matter how many things that we scheduled for the kids to do, um, their favorite activity, unfortunately, was let's try to drown Jason. And I cannot tell you the times of panic that I had underwater, like with one or two or a dozen kids, like jumping on me, trying to keep me under and watching me turn blue. I'm, I'd be underwater, and I would literally be like, okay, God, so I've committed my life to serving you. I have committed my life to serving these students, and they're going to try to kill me for it. That's what I've got to show. But, you know, truth be told, I'm here this morning. I did survive the, uh, the pool parties at youth group. And why in the world, in the middle of winter, after an intense winter storm yesterday that lasted 24 hours, why would I be talking about pools and summer and pool parties? Well, because I want to talk about a dramatic event that happened at a pool um, with an interaction that Jesus had with a man that had a desperate need. Jesus met him in the midst of that need, and the guy's life was never the same. I'm excited to be able to share this story with you. With you, It's one of my favorite stories. I don't think there's any miracles that are greater than others, but I love how this miracle comes about that we're going to look at today. So if you would, I would love for you to grab your Bible or grab your app or look over the shoulder of somebody that's got a Bible. There might be some in the seats. But I want you to look at John chapter 5. We're going to look at the first uh, 15 or so verses, but I want to read the first nine verses to you guys. And for those of you that like obsess over time, 15 verses, that means I've got about two minutes per verse. So I will get us out of here on time. Don't worry. I've already done this once today, and I came in right at the right amount of time. So that, that was a miracle in and of itself. But I want to read John chapter 5. I want to set up the scenario for what's going on here. You guys ready? Bible's open. All right. Bible's tapped on, all that good stuff. All right. So it says this Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. So sometime later, some, some, some stuff that has most recently happened that we see in the preceding verses in the book of John is Jesus had the conversation with the woman at the well and explained, it gets better, dude, seriously. <laughs> it really does. Um, 
But uh, he has a, 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 an encounter with this woman at the well and changes her life. He saves the, uh, the son of an official that runs to Jesus in panic because his child is dying. And now Jesus is come to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews, which if you were a good practicing Jew, what you would do is you would head to Jerusalem. You would head to the temple for these feasts. We don't know exactly what this feast was. It could have been Passover, but the Bible doesn't specify. But it says that he was there um, at Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic uh, is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades, is that right? Colonnades? Colonnades. Colonnades? Colonnades. Porches. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the, the, blame, uh, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned uh, that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no help, uh, no one to help me to get into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Verse 9, at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was Sabbath. So again, the setting is this. Jesus has just come into Jerusalem. Um, we don't know if he necessarily entered through the sheep's gate, but how cool would that be, the Lamb of God entering in the city through the sheep's gate? How appropriate, right? Most likely the sheep's gate was where the sacrificial animals were taken through, taken in that entrance so they could be sacrificed at temple, and that's where they think that they got the name sheep gate. But for whatever reason, Jesus is in Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews, and as he is going about the city, he comes upon the pool of Bethesda. And when you're thinking pool, I don't mean like somebody uh, offering up their backyard pool to a bunch of teenagers, but something much more elaborate. And here's the cool thing, and this is where I kind of geek out about scripture. In 1956, the pools of Bethesda were unearthed. And uh, it turned out to be a, a much uh, bigger area than anybody anticipated. And they have, I, have, I brought uh, an artist's rendition of what they think it looks like. I mean, that is a great place to play steal the greased watermelon, if you ask me. But this beautiful, these beautiful pools were built within the, uh, within the uh, vicinity of Jerusalem. And what happened was, at some point in the history of the Pool of Bethesda, and I don't know if it happened when it looked like this, or this was built up because of, of an event that happened, but at some point in the history within the Pool of Bethesda, somebody was healed. Somehow, some way, somebody walked away improved. Somebody walked away from that location better than they arrived. And there's no, there's no scripture that tells us what the very first healing was there. There's nothing that details what it was, when it was, how frequently people were healed there. But something happened at the pool of Bethesda, the point where they built this up, two large pools, patios all around it, one patio splitting it down the middle of there, and people would congregate there, and people would hang out there. They said you know, there could be anywhere from dozens to hundreds of people hanging out at this pool, hoping that maybe they would be the one that could make it into the water to get healed. Now let's talk about that for just a minute, all right? If you would, hold your Bible up right now, and I want you to look at, not that high, Danny, you have to read it, but um, I want you to look at John chapter 5, verse 4. Can somebody read to me from one of the newer translations, John chapter 5, verse 4? It's not there, is it? 
<laughs> all, new, all newer translations from the King James forward have decided to eliminate verse 4 because when you go back to the original manuscripts that translations come from, it became very, very clear that somewhere along the way, somebody added on their own what they thought was a uh, definition, an explanation for what happened at the Pool of Bethesda. And what verse 4 used to tell us, and has since been removed because it is inaccurate, is verse 4 would tell us that the reason this place was so popular is because a healing had happened at some point, and verse 4 tells us that an angel would come, stir up the water, and as the water was getting stirred up, the first person to make it into the water was healed. Now again, original manuscripts that this is all based on does not have that verse. That is not theologically accurate. The Bible doesn't teach superstition like that, right? And I mean, seriously, do you think God would create that type of unfair competition? I mean, seriously, a God of love, do you think he'd really send an angel down, stir up the water, you know, and then place their bets on, I bet the guy with the, uh, the broken leg is going to get in there for, you know, it's like, God doesn't do that kind of game. So the reason that whole verse was removed is the Bible doesn't teach that type of superstition, but somewhere along the way, something happened there that people said, if I can get there, if I'm an invalid, if I'm sick, if I'm paralyzed, if I can just get there, that is going to heal me. Those pools are the answer to my question. Those pools are the answer to the pain in my life and the suffering in my life. Bethesda means house of mercy, or it means the house of grace. So this place was named after the merciful and graceful acts that it had happened. I would love to know the frequency when that stuff happened. I, I don't know. But somehow, culturally, the myth, the urban legend was get in that water and you will be healed. And that's not so far-fetched. Like every community has their own myths. Every community has their own urban legends, right? Like I grew up here in Ventura. I went to Balboa Middle School. All right? And when I went to Balboa Middle School, the urban legend, the myth that floated around, and I don't know if it's still perpetuated or not, but when I was there, and everybody knew this, when I went to Balboa Middle School, it was known as a former women's prison. <laughs> I mean, think about it. There has never been another building constructed like Balboa Middle School. Joe's an architect. It's a funky building, right? It is a weird, ugly, prison-like building. And it sure as heck felt like prison when I went there. You know what I mean? But that was the urban legend that Balboa Middle School was a former women's prison. So all that to say, every community has their myths. Every community has their stories. Every community has their urban legends. And for whatever reason, people believe that the pools of Bethesda had healing powers. Not the waters themselves, but when that water was stirred, something, something was causing that area to be divine. But we know that that is the original, or one of the reasons one of those superstitious reasons was not actually true. So that was just a little background on the Pool of Bethesda. So Jesus, when he enters the town, I'm sure that he knew of the Pool of Bethesda. I'm sure that as a kid growing up, he had seen or been to the pools. If not, I mean, he just simply knew about the pools because he was God, right? He has knowledge of everything. But he went to the pools knowing that <clears throat> because there was believed to be healing powers there, he was probably going to run across people that were in need, right? That makes sense. These pools have these mythical powers, so if I go there with Jesus, I'm probably going to bump into somebody that has some type of need. And what was Jesus' ministry in life about? And caring for people, meeting people 
where they were at in their needs. What I've, one I've read, like I said, there could be dozens, there could be hundreds of people hanging out there, and just think about it, like, the medical professional was not what it is today, so of course people would put their hope in something like this. We know Luke was a doctor, right? Luke who wrote the, uh, the gospel in the New Testament. So medical practice existed, but obviously not to the level it is today, so if there's disabilities, anything like that, you know, they would try to treat it with home remedies and, and stuff like that, and it just was not effective. So people gathered here, and that brings us to this man who was an invalid for 38 years. How many of you guys are like 38 or younger? So don't be shy. It's like, I can't le- raise my hand legitimately, but if you're 38 and younger, please raise your hand, okay? So basically, for you who are 38 and younger, your entire life, you would have been crippled, your entire life, you would have been an invalid. Your entire life, your body would not have been functioning the way that our bodies were created to function. So for 38 years, this guy is an invalid. Do we know exactly what his ailment is? No, we don't know what his exact ailment is. We can infer that it has something to do with his legs because Jesus tells him to get up and walk, and he hadn't been able to previously. But this guy is living for 38 years with an ailment. And John tells us that Jesus saw this man lying by the pool, And I don't know if Jesus asked around, like, hey, what is this guy's story? You know, Jesus loves to hear our stories, so I don't know if he was asking around, or I don't know if he just knew, again, because he's God and he knows these things. I don't know if he just knew that this man had been, uh, was an invalid. Um, It says that he learned, so either he perceived it through the Spirit, or he perceived it, he learned it from others around him. But he learned that this man had been here for 38 years. And Jesus approaches this man and asks him what I think at face value is a really simple question. But, but before we even get to the question that he asked him, think about this. If you were sick, if you had some type of a physical disability, some type of an ailment in New Testament times, especially in Jewish culture, what were you considered? An outcast. You were unclean. So this, well, it's not there anymore, but the pools of Bethesda was a gathering place for the outcast, was a gathering place for the unclean. Ceremonial, ceremonially, well, religiously, you were unclean. And you were not to interact with these people. And here's Jesus. What is he doing? He's getting into the unclean mess of this guy's life. That's what he loves to do. Jesus loves to get into the mess of our lives. He doesn't stand at a distance. He's not like, hey, Dan, let's have a conversation from across the room. And he's like, he's right there, man, in our mess with us. And I can just imagine, based on my understanding of Christ, I can imagine not even, not even like standing over this guy. I kind of imagine him kneeling, maybe even getting as comfortable as just sitting next to this man. Again, because Jesus loves to get into the mess of our lives. So Jesus, I'm just going to assume, sits next to this man. And he asks him a question. Do you want to get well? Doesn't ask his name, doesn't ask his age, doesn't ask what's wrong with him, doesn't ask how long he's been there, doesn't ask his history. Do you want to get well? And when I read this, you know, and I take a quick reading of this, of course the answer is yes, Right? Who would not want to get healed if you were this man who had had this infirmity for 38 years? We would think, obviously, this guy wants to get healed. Obviously, if Jesus came to me and asked about the sin in my life, obviously, I would want to get healed. But you know what the reality is? Sometimes 
we don't want to get healed. Maybe you've known people that actually, they like the ailment of their life because it gives them an identity. And they refer back to that ailment and they talk about that ailment and they draw people into that ailment with them because it gives a little bit of an identity to them. Maybe you know people that just love drama and they don't want to give up loving drama and they thrive in the eye of the storm of drama. And if they have, a, if they have the ability to bring, bring reconciliation and closing of that drama, they don't because by being in the know, that gives them a little sense of identity, a little sense of power, right? We love to know the dirt, right? Scripture talk, calls gossip a tender morsel, right? Some people, they don't want to get healed because they just flat out are, are enjoying their sin too much. Sin's fun, right? Sin is a lot of fun. I see a bunch of teenagers over here. The key is it's temporary, though, okay? It's temporary. Sin is a lot of fun, but it's temporary fun that always has consequences attached. So while we may say, like, well, obviously this guy's going to want to get healed, well, no, there's, there's been times in my life that I don't want to say no to the sin that I'm enjoying temporarily. And I think we've all been in that place where we're sick, but we kind of like being sick because it gives us an identity or it, it does something for us. So we kind of like to stay there. So Jesus asked this question, do you want to get well? And then rather than saying immediately after being sick for 38 years, heck yes, I want to get well. Absolutely, I want to get better. Or even, I, hey, can I sleep on it and let you know tomorrow? The guy begins to ask, or the guy begins to answer a question that Jesus didn't even ask. It says, sir, the invalid replied, I, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. I while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. The lame man, and I don't mean like lame, stupid, but the disabled man hung all of his hope on getting into the pools. So when Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? He can't even hear that question because he's so fixated on getting into the pools. That is the only source of healing for this guy in his mind. And he's been, spent, he spent 38 years in his condition and he's hooked on this scenario that he cannot veer from of the scenario is I got to get in the water. Do you want to get, well, I, 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 nobody's there to help me get in the water. That's not the question, bro. He had been to doctors, I would imagine. He's been to, he's probably, he's probably tried everything out there that there was to try, every home remedy, every herbal remedy, everything that the medical world, the limited medical world of that time could offer him, any, any local folklore kind of remedy. He probably did everything, and nothing's worked. So now he has pinned his entire hope on healing on the pools of Bethesda. Every egg in that ailment basket was directed towards the pools of Bethesda. He put his hope in this urban legend. He put this, his hope in this myth. He had put his hope in what the culture had told him would work. He put his hope in what the world said, if you do this, you're going to get better. If you have this in your life, you will be better. That's what he was believing. Jesus realized the man was asking, answering the, the wrong question. The man was answering the question, why can't you get well? Do you, why can't you get well? Do you need help with the process? Do you need help to the pool? See, that's what the guy was fixated on. But that's not what Jesus was asking him. Jesus was asking him a different question. Do you want to get well? Don't tell me why you can't. 
do you want to get well? Here's the deal. This man had placed his hope in the pool. So what was going on here was this man was not just suffering from a crippled body. This man was suffering from a crippled faith. This man had a crippled hope. Everything in his life was about, I've got to get in that water. Do you want to get well? I've got to get in that water. Do you want to get well? Nobody can help me get into the water. And here's what's crazy to me about that. Even as he is looking at hope embodied in the form of Jesus Christ, he cannot get past believing what the world told him what he needed to be healed. He was so hung up on what the culture was telling him. If you get in the water, you will be healed. So much so that he was blinded to the fact that the giver of hope, hope in a body was staring at him, asking him the question. He had no clue that the man, was having a, the man that was having a conversation with him was the one that could actually give him what he was longing for. And we think, God, oh, what a fool. But again, how many times have we been stuck in an ailment that this world throws at us. How many times have we been stuck in a crippling situation and Jesus is right there next to us in the midst of that hurt, in the midst of that mess, and we don't even realize he's there? How many times has life knocked us down and we're, we're over here chasing after what we think the remedy is and Jesus is over here, hey, Freehoff, over here. Jason, 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 and I'm so fixed on what's going on over there as my solution that I miss that Jesus Christ is sitting right next to me in that mess ready to heal me. This guy is not as stupid as we may think he is. Let's not dismiss this guy as quickly as, and as easily as we think we can. He's us in a lot of ways. He is doing what Scripture tells us not to do. Proverbs tells us to do, to lean not on our own understanding. So my question to you this morning, I guess, is this. Is what is your pool of Bethesda? What is that thing that culture has told you will bring the healing that you need and you are fixated on that? What's your pool of Bethesda? What have you put your hope in other than Jesus? Because we've all done it. Is your pool of Bethesda your career? When things get tough, do you just lean into your career even more? Put more hours in. If I can just work harder, I'm just going to power through this. And your success is what you lean into. And you want your success to define you. Do you lean into a relationship? Man, if I could just have this type of relationship in my life, that's going to get me through this crippling storm that I'm experiencing. If I could just have that guy, if I could just have that woman, if I could just have that, that perfect family scenario, that's going to get me through this crippling season of my life. If I could just have faith in my government... If it, man, if just if the right administration would get voted in, everything would be better. We put our hope in that. Do you put our hope in your possessions? Man, if I can just pile up enough stuff around me, then that's going to shut out the pain of the world. And the more stuff I have, the happier I'm going to be. If I have just X amount of dollars in my bank account, dude, I'm set. I will never have another problem again if I can have X amount of dollars in my account. I'm going to live the dream and retire a millionaire or whatever, whatever Dave Ramsey says you can do, you know? Do you put your hope in your position? 
And being a pastor is a weird thing. And there's guys that just love the title of pastor. They just love it. And they lean into that title because it gives them status. And, and, and in all the different careers represented here, you could say the same thing. People just love titles and they love the status that can come with them. And when life is difficult, we just lean into that. We lean into like people looking up to us, people clapping for us when we go on stage, whatever, you know. We've all done that. So you stuck at your own pool of Bethesda. Jesus was there, but the sick man didn't even recognize him. Jesus is asking us the exact same question that he asked that man. Do you want to get well? No, 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 I just, Jesus, if I just, if I buy this new car, do you want to get well? Man, if I could just get married, do you want to get well? Dude, if I, if I could just get more people underneath me that report to me at, jo- at, at work, do you want to get well? Man, if I just have a, have a couple more zeros on that statement on my bank account, do you want to get well? And we miss that he is in the mess with us. And he is the one that can pull us out of that mess. Lean not on your own understanding. See, Jesus wants to heal us. And he wants to take, he wants to take our eyes off of that pool of Bethesda. And he wants to move us on with the plan that he has for us. He wants to move us to that next chapter of our life. But we're so stuck in the existing chapter. I got to get to the pool. I got to get to the pool. I got to get to the pool. So again, I guess the question is, where are you stuck? What is your pool of Bethesda? What consumes you? What answer from this world consumes your heart, your soul, your mind, and you're fixated on it? And you, you look at this thing and you, you affix this statement to it. You look at this thing that you think is going to bring what you're looking for and you say things like, this is going to make the difference. That's the game changer. If only I could. And there's all these things in our life that we make those statements about. And Jesus is saying, do you want to get well? And despite that man's inability to get past being fixated on the pool, Jesus tells him, what? Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Jesus doesn't try to take a whole lot of time explaining that he's who he is, and he doesn't make fun of the guy, he doesn't rebuke the guy, he doesn't... He doesn't, like, correct the guy. In the midst of that guy still being distracted, he's like, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. It's interesting to me that just prior to the statement that Jesus makes, man, this man just is not, he has no ability to respond directly to Jesus. He is just, his mind is so far away from engaging in that moment and that's what Jesus is trying to do he's trying to draw him into this moment he's trying to engage him in this moment and that's what Jesus continues to do in our life he's always trying to draw us in and engage us in conversation and engage us in this moment that guy just couldn't do it but despite that here's what's cool despite that guy's inability to fully engage in the moment and fully engage in the conversation that Jesus was having with him did that stop Jesus from acting no Jesus still intervened. Jesus still healed him. And I just attribute that to God's perfect timing. Even though this guy wasn't ready, according to God's schedule, it was time. Even though this guy couldn't fully like, recognize and reconcile the fact that the bringer of the hope he was looking for was sitting in front of him, according to God's schedule, it was time. It was time for something to change in this guy's life. And Jesus acts. And that guy's life has changed forever. 
And it wasn't until that, that personal moment of clarity, that, that personal moment of interaction with Jesus, of Jesus saying to him, get up, you're healed. It wasn't until then that the guy was ready. It's at that moment, all of a sudden, that he chose to directly respond to what Jesus was saying, right? At that moment, he wasn't saying, he didn't say, get up and walk, and the guy didn't come back and say, but I can't get to the pool. In that moment where Jesus spoke healing into his life, he's like, oh, shoot. And I don't know. I, I wish the scripture was clear. I wish we had more of this guy's story. I don't know if he felt something happen in his body. I don't know if he felt energized. I don't know if he felt like, like these, this, this warm sensation going through all of his limbs. I don't know exactly what happened. I'd love to talk to the guy. To-do list for heaven. Talk to the paralytic man. Ask him about it. But somehow, some way, as Jesus spoke those words, he knew and he had the faith to act doesn't say the guy asked Jesus a bunch of questions. What did the guy do? He got up and walked. Because Jesus had spoke, Jesus had spoke healing into his life. What's interesting is this. The first thing he does after he goes to the, uh, or gets up and leaves the pool, he heads to the temple. The reason he heads to the temple is because he was considered unclean. So he goes to the temple so that he can be declared clean by the priest and re-enter into public. And as he's going and taking care of that business, which was a big deal, it was really important for him to do, it was necessary for him to do, he has another encounter with Jesus. And listen to what Jesus says this time. He says, see you're well again. Again, so maybe this infirmity happened later in life. I don't know. But see, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Well, thanks, Jesus. Jeez. Wow, way to, way to bring the storm clouds in over, the, over this cool thing that just happened. What a downer, Jesus. But this is what Jesus is saying to him, and this is what Jesus is saying to us. You are a new creation. Now go live like it. You're a new creation. Go live like it. Don't go back to that pool. It's got nothing for you. I've put you on a new path. I've given you a new identity. Walk in that path. Don't keep looking over your shoulder. Look at what I've done and keep your eyes forward. You're brand new. I want you to live brand new. Jesus is saying this. Don't abuse the loving and the saving things that I've done in your life. Don't go back. So let me ask you this. When Jesus asks you that question, what is your response? When Jesus asks you, do you want to get well? Do you have excuses for why you're not? Or do you answer the question, yeah, I want to get well. I'm exhausted, Jesus. I have tried to check so many boxes on what the world says I need, Jesus. I'm tired. I got 10 check marks on this list, and I still feel just as crummy as I did before I checked that first box, man. This list that the world has given me, it, it's just not doing it. I still feel empty. I still feel crippled. I still feel lost. I still feel alone. I feel like my life is pointless. So when Jesus says, do you want to get well? The answer is yes. And this man had that moment with Jesus. And I don't know, there, there could be somebody here this morning that this is your paralyzed man moment. I mean, in, with a crowd this size, and I said this last service, wow, way to turn out for on New Year's Day encounter. I'm, I'm really impressed. I thought there was going to be like five of us in here and singing Kumbaya, but maybe for somebody here, this is your crippled man moment, and Jesus is saying, get up and walk. 
and you know it. And you've got a little bit of a tingling going on right as I say that. You're feeling a little nervous. But if that's you, you need to say yes. Right here, right now. Don't push the pause button on that question if you're feeling like, yeah, I think this is my paralyzed man moment. I, I think I'm supposed to say yes right here, right now. I'm going to start a new life in 2023. So what answer are you giving? Listen to the question. Don't hear what Jesus isn't asking. He isn't just asking the paralyzed man, do you want to get well? The reason that this story is recorded in the scriptures is because he is still asking that question to all of us. He wants us to take our eyes off of our pools of Bethesda. He wants to take our eyes off of our, our false and crippled hope. He wants us to shift them to, to him who is true hope. He wants us to realize that any other solution that we've been pursuing is empty and meaningless. And just like the man who was paralyzed got a new identity, because what was he known as before the healing? He was known as like, oh yeah, that's the paralyzed guy. Oh yeah, he's, he's, been, he's been hanging out here for 30 years. Oh, don't, don't sit there. That's, 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 what's the name? Random. That's John's spot. He comes every day. Oh, that's just the paralyzed guy. It went from, he's the paralyzed guy, to like, dude, that's the guy that Jesus healed. We should go talk to him about that. It's the same for us. When Jesus enters into our life and we say yes to, do you want to get healed? And he gives us a new, a new identity. We're to live our lives in such a way that like, dude, I knew you back then. I remember the things you did back in high school or whatever. You're like, oh, yeah, 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 that's me. But you know what? Now I know Jesus. Right? Tony Cortez, how many stories have you told like that? That was me? No, I'm serious. You guys need to talk to Tony if you don't know his story. This was me? But dude, I met Jesus. Let me tell you what got me from here to here. And just like that paralyzed man, it tells later in this story that he went and told people about what happened in his life. We have that same ripple effect ability. When we say, yeah, I want to get better, and Jesus does what he says he's going to do because he never lies to us, we have the chance to not only live as a new creation, but to draw other people in to that same kind of redeeming, healing relationship. Sorry, Tony, to put you on the spot. You're going to jump me after this. Um, oh, that's not you anymore. That's what you used to. Yeah, okay. Go Angels. <laughs> Here's the thing. I got 13 seconds left. Here's the deal, guys. Shh. You're using up my time. Here's the thing to remember, you guys. Do not go back to your pools. Do not go back to your pools. They are enticing. They're tempting. You know why? Because they're known. Starting that new life in Jesus is scary. And we don't know every path he's going to take us down. We don't, know, we don't always necessarily know what that next step is going to be. We've got to wait, wait for him to light that path one step at a time. So when life gets difficult, and it will, and when you're kind of feeling the crippling effects of life creeping back in on you, don't go back. Jesus didn't die on the cross for you to go back to that pool. Don't go back there because it's comfortable. Don't go back there because it's familiar. There is nothing there for you. You know that list of things I said, success and family and finances, there's nothing inherently wrong with any of those until we start placing our hope in them.
Do not go back to your pools. Do you want to get well? Yes. Then never dip your toes in that pool again. It's not necessary. You don't need it anymore. You are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Amen? Let's pray. God, thanks for this morning. Thanks for this real life story of an interaction that your son had. Lord, I pray that every person here would would understand that this was not fiction. This is not a fairy tale. This really happened. History confirms all this stuff. There really is a pool of Bethesda. It's not a fictional location. It is real. And Lord, this interaction was real. Jesus is real. His ability to heal us is real. His ability to give us new identity and make us a new creation is real. Lord, I pray, I, I pray that all of us, including myself, we would live in that. We would live in that identity. I was that once, but now this is me because of Jesus. That we would not be ashamed to live that in front of our friends, in front of our family, in front of our coworkers, in front of our neighbors, so that we can have those conversations. So that maybe because of us, Jesus will ask somebody else, do you want to get well? And if you're sitting here this morning, like I alluded to, if you're sitting here this morning and you feel like this is my, this is my personal encounter with Jesus moment happening right here, I can, I can feel, I can sense, I can hear Jesus asking me right here, right now, do you want to get well? And if, if you're sitting here and you want to say yes, then say yes. Scripture tells us that if we confess with our mouth and believe with our hearts that Jesus was raised from the dead, then we will be saved. If you believe in your heart that Jesus is asking if you want to be healed, if you believe in your heart that he died on the cross, if you believe in your heart that that cross was a payment for all of our mistakes, if you believe in your heart that three days later Jesus conquered death as a way to show that he conquered our sin, and you're hearing Jesus ask, do you want to get well? Then say yes today. And the best thing you can do is you can run over to that, what's it called, that prayer area right after the service and go talk to somebody. Don't delay don't worry about the football games this afternoon. Don't worry about taking down your Christmas decorations. Make a beeline for that prayer area and tell somebody, I want to say yes to Jesus today. Lord, thanks for loving us. Thanks for never intending for us to stay stuck in the mess. Thank you that you get in there with us. You don't wallow in it with us. Your intention is to pull us right out of it. And I pray that this will be a year where we say yes to you and live as a new creation. We love you, Lord. Thank you so much for loving us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.